Hello Queens, welcome back. We're still doing the Truth Is series and this time around I'm talking to Shambe Mutunji about grief. Shambe is a medical doctor currently working out of Durham region and one of the questions I ask her is, is mental health just as important as physical health? Take a listen. This week's foolishness. Asha, how are you doing? I'm good. How is quarantine going for you right now? Um, I'm just bored. I can't wait. I uh, to, for everything to open up again and I can live a normal life. I'm on my period. I'm in so much pain. Like the pain is unbelievable right now. I want to die. Mm. Mm. I just, I need to figure out how to get rid of my periods for life. I can't. So, yeah. the first story is a woman ends up with a square head after botched chin fat removal surgery. <laughs> oh my god. And, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, so, I just, I didn't laugh that hard, but oh my god. It yeah. looks horrific and she looked fine before yeah but this is what insecurities will do so a woman who had cosmetic surgery to remove fat from her chin mm. ended up with a square face yeah yikes it's a non-surgical injection beneath the chin did i'm trying to figure out where she oh my god she looks crazy I'm gonna send you this picture. Yes, please, because I wanna see this. Her dad looks horrified. Her sister is like, what the hell? Do you know where she got it done? It says, um, it doesn't say. No. Because uh, I heard a lot of, like, a lot of people go abroad to do plastic surgery because it's cheaper. Uh, and then they always get botched. It's one, like. And I'm like, the one thing you shouldn't cheat out on is plastic surgery. The one thing, the one thing that you should not, it's not H&M sales, guys. It's your face. Yeah. <sighs> also, we, with social media and everything, yeah. like people have huge insecurities. And I think that we just need to learn to love whatever God has given us. like. Or get the money to have like a real, you know, like a... I don't know, doc, a real doctor and not have like... Yeah, but a lot of the times, like, we've seen it even with real doctors. People always, every time I look at the before and after, they always look better than before. <sighs> as long as they're happy, I guess, but... But now you like, have a box face. <laughs> now you have a box face. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh my god, like, I can't. And we live in a and she's 19 I mean, years old so she's a baby yeah that's really young <sighs> to have plastic surgery your face is not even like fully itself yet no does that make sense like i it's not right to do it while you're still a teen like i just and i wonder <sighs> if like was she bigger like no, she's skinny, but you know, like, even I have a double chin and, like, I don't like it, but 
I mean, if I don't, the way I'm broke, I'm not going to go get a discount surgery. Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't know. Anyways, on to the next. Poor girl, now she's square-faced. <sighs> Yikes. Um, Jimmy Kimmel did blackface. You know what's uh, funny? I actually knew about this like years before anyone even said anything. Like, I just I, I already <sighs> seen it, so I was wondering when they were gonna call him out on it. <laughs> what is the fascination with blackface and white? What? Are, why are white people obsessed with doing blackface? Like, what is it? Someone explain it. If you know the answer, because too many people. Jimmy Fallon did blackface. He had to come out and apologize. Um, now Jimmy Kimmel um justin trudeau like what is with white people and blackface like i don't get it yeah it's uh like what it it was based on something he did a long time ago right yeah but it's offensive it's been offensive since 1923 it didn't start being offensive this year this was something that was used you know as a form of violence towards black people like from time yeah so it like it doesn't make sense that or back then i didn't think about it back then like two years ago jimmy kimmel was it two years ago it was like 2017 he did it at the oscars i feel like people are calling people in 2017 i guess no but like he he did do stuff in the past in 1990 but yeah, he that's did. The one I knew. But he did blackface again at the Oscars, apparently, twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. And I'm just like, what in the hell is like? What is the fascination with blackface? Why don't you guys do know. blue face, yellow face, red face? Like I don't understand. Honestly, <sighs> I feel like almost every white celebrity has been called up for blackface. It's so do we weird. Have like, is there anybody left at this point? Like, I don't fucking get it. Like, what is wrong with you, white people and blackface? If you can explain to us what the fascination is, then maybe I'll, I'll stop, you know, cussing y'all out. But this is ridiculous. Mm, yeah, it really is. Of did he issue an apology? Of course he did. And his apology was something like, oh well you know it was a long time ago and and at that time i didn't really think about what i did i just thought i was doing an impersonation that's how that's bullshit y'all know where blackface comes from you know where it comes from Mm -hmm. so uh, i'm just i'm i'm actually very tired i'm tired of white people and just their bullshit Uh, the next white person that is up to no good is bolton i don't know if you know bolton so bolton used to be on the bush administration okay and he basically encouraged the killings of muslims um (sighs) encouraged the war and was with like i remember his interview in you when i was living in uganda i was in like grade six (laughs) Where he literally, like, they, because at that time, I don't, I think his job was, like, chief of something. Yeah. And he said that the war was the best idea. And literally, at the end of that interview, he goes, good luck, but we're going to bomb you. 
those were his words. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, uh, Bol- so Bolton joined the Trump administration. And I'm not shocked. <laughs> yes. So, anyways, so got fired or left or whatever and resigned. Okay. And now he came up with a book talking about... So, the book is a tell-all about Trump in the White House. But if you know Donald Trump, you'll know that we don't need a tell-all. Like, he literally... Yeah, he literally tells us. Everything. And yeah, the fact that they... Bolton is trying to say... Oh look what look how evil Trump is, sir! Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm like just, the double standard is crazy. How how dare you come out and and then he goes, I'm not gonna vote for Trump and I'm not gonna vote for Biden, but I'm gonna find a way to vote. That that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The fact that everybody is acting like Bolton is this hero for writing this book is is just goes to show how much white people can get away with. Yeah. But he supports the killings of thousands upon thousands of innocent people. And didn't hide and it. He could turn around and point the finger at Trump. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then people say, "Oh, oh, thank Bolton is 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 giving us the gospel." Are you people kidding me? To be honest, can we believe anything that's even in his book? It doesn't even make sense. He, one of the things he says is, "Trump interfered in the elections." Obviously, we knew that. <laughs> I don't understand. He, he said oh, because when when Trump won the elections, uh, Hillary Clinton won three million popular votes. So we know he lied. They made voting difficult in black, predominantly black places. Yeah. You know, America is just trash. It's, it's a trash place. Also, Trump is that type of person. Like, if he shits funny, he'll come out at the bathroom and be like, "Did you know what I did?" <laughs> exactly. Um, He's not giving us anything new. I think that. Um, nowadays, people just like you hate Trump, then you're you're right. Like we forget all your past and all the shit he's done. We just love you now because you're shitting on Trump. But Omarosa didn't get the same treatment. But I guess that's because she's a black woman. Uh, Omarosa will never get the same treatment. She, <laughs> yeah, like you said, she's a black woman. Because she came out and she wrote no, a book. No, no one said shit. No one cared. She, she's a sellout. Like no one will support her now. Is, but Bolton is a sellout. Yeah, but he's a white sellout, so that works for him in his favor. Oh, man. Do you see the shit that, like, I just couldn't believe that we're really giving this. Omarosa didn't get any interviews on any networks. Like, yeah, maybe she got an interview on CNN and, like, the Wendy Williams show, but... And by <laughs> you, she was on Wendy before she even went to the White House and stuff. So, see? She's been on Wendy. Wendy, so like they didn't give her the same treatment at all. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. I can't. And also, Bolton is like he rides the rate wave. Mm-hmm. Back when he was saying those things about the war and all that stuff, it was a popular opinion. A lot of people believed in that. Mm-hmm. And now people are shitting on Trump. He's he's like, oh, I should get into this, you know, <clears throat> because he was fired. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, it. when I was reading um, about Bolton and just watching all his interviews, and, like, it's not, you know, Bush was is, is a war criminal. Yeah. Um, however, Bush didn't come out and say, you know, yeah, kill those people. He, he never did stuff like that. Bolton yeah. came out on television and said, ah, yeah, well, we told those people good luck, but they're going to die. 
as if yeah. he was not talking about whole us human beings so fuck bolton and his book he can go suck every dick people like him when they talk about people of color they are not they're not talking about humans like they literally don't see us yeah as human so what, what people need to understand is that like as much as we like as people of color we like to say oh we're all humans kumbaya a lot of white people who support this system they don't see us as humans and if this is a big example and the fact that yeah. everybody has forgotten what Bolton did and they are focusing on this dumbass book we don't even need a tell all book for Trump he tells us everything <sighs> yeah fuck Bolton fuck Trump yeah. moving on to the next thing so i saw this tweet um a an a, an african american woman said to a nigerian i'm not going to argue with an african who doesn't have wifi and then <laughs> the nigerian said i'm not here to argue with a black american that will probably be dead soon oh my god and then oh it gets worse another nigerian said call me in 2 years when you become a hashtag oh. um and then someone else another nigerian said can you spell out your name so we can trend justice for Another Nigerian says still better than someone who is whose life expectancy just depends on the mood of the police. Another these are all Nigerians by the way guys. Um yeah. so they're also black. <laughs> um they this one this one also then someone else says you talk too much for someone who may be shot by the police tomorrow. Your life is a ticking time bomb. Oh, oh lord. It, it just it you know it gets it gets worse. Oh, that's it. That's it. Oh, oh god. That's crazy. The fact that we're like literally fighting each other. The Why? fact that you're talking like this as if there's no there're no issues with Nigerian police. Two weeks ago, a Nigerian girl, 16 years old, was shot by a police officer who felt like shooting her. Police in Nigeria is a problem. Police in uh, South African police are guilty of murdering not only foreigners because the you know South Africa has a problem with xenophobia, but uh, recently, last week, I read a story of a Nigerian who was beaten to death by South African police. Um yeah. in Trevor Noah's book. Yes, in in Trevor Noah's book he talks about police when a when a woman comes to report that her husband is beating her, they don't do anything. Yeah. Um in Kenya this weekend a a hawker like those people who yeah. sell stuff was beaten to death by two police officers. Yeah. In Uganda, same stuff is going on. So how are you guys talking to African Americans that like y'all don't have the same problem going on in your respective nations? Like I'm and also they, like the Wi-Fi thing that was rude, but it was it didn't warrant all of it. No, it I didn't. Know. It no, didn't I mean. like call for you to shit on their humanity. Exactly. This is a serious thing and like if you bitches were in America, you would be killed by the police as well cuz you're black, you dumbass bitches. 
I I just like and I'm shocked that this is coming from Africans from Africans forget that this is you know if it was like white people white passing people people. you're black as well and you're not you don't come from a different nation that has you're not coming from anywhere that's any better when it comes to law enforcement I love how Africans are looking at this in African nations that are struggling with hunger and corruption and and joblessness and you're talking about oh well at least I'm not like so you is it better to live and you have a shitty life is that better for you and it's a complete utter lie law enforcement in African countries is a problem like, I mean they're easily bribed yeah um, you could literally commit any crime in Africa as long as you pay if you have money, you will get away with anything. And so we have a lot of corruption cru- so in Africa. We have so many political prisoners in Africa. Exactly. exactly. You know? And we can't forget that just because it doesn't look like white people are running your country doesn't mean they're not running your country. Half okay. of African countries depend on aid. Like, not even half, more than half. And most of African resources are still owned by their colonizers. Mm-hmm. Like, racism is a problem everywhere. Like, you guys need to calm the fuck down. Like, I need you guys to actually relax. Like, that was so... It was uncalled was so for. Like, what was for. the point? All, I mean, like, all she really did was make say that you guys don't have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. All you could have been like, you're dumb. I do and move on. <laughs> or don't even res- or you know, I'm I'm all for like if someone comes for you, go ahead and shit on them. But this was like you took it to so many levels that were like not needed and it was so stupid because if I was her, I would have sent him all the articles about Nigeria. Like are you crazy or even Africa? There's no way that you guys are having moral high ground over any other country when the whole of Africa is a fuck shit hot mess. There's no way you guys are actually doing that right now. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's it's very sad to see, like, black people cannibalizing each other like this. It's, like, horrible. And unfortunately, it's a time where we're supposed to be united and be like, you know, working for equality, but no. But trust niggas to just do the fucking most. Always. Yeah. And take things way too far. Mm-hmm. Trust them to do but, that. Like, I noticed that, like, we, we just can't leave it at, like, we disagree. This wasn't necessary. I'm disgusted that they're being a like a lot of like other people are applauding these people for being so disrespectful. Like even you guys are stupid. You're yeah. dumbasses. Um. Uh. Anyways, that's it for this week's foolishness. There's not a lot going on because of Corona, but. I have Shambe here. Uh, Shambe is a medical doctor. Say hi, Shambe. Hey, everyone. How are you doing, you know, managing through the pandemic and all that kind of stuff? Um, things are looking better. It's um, a much more positive, I guess, atmosphere in 
you know, in healthcare and in our hospitals now that we have all of the PPE or protective gear. <clears throat> it seems as if the atmosphere is much more calm and we're hoping that things don't spike again, though now I think we're more ready for it than the beginning. So mm-hmm. it's actually much improved over the last few months, I can say. I know in America, they there's been a, like disparities between in terms of like, COVID is affecting more black people. Are you finding that where you're at as well, that people of color and black people are most affected? So they said that the numbers that the Canadian, I guess, demographics seem to mirror the American ones, um, that there are more positives and more severe cases. I work in a very specific area of medicine, so labor, delivery, and women's health uh, gynecology. So we've actually been quite lucky in my area not to have seen as many positive cases. Mm-hmm. I've definitely heard that that's, um, that is true. And I've been uh, part of a few seminars um, on like racial disparities, especially related to COVID, and, and they are finding those numbers to be true. Yeah, because I guess... GTA poverty and i know that doug ford was saying scarborough was most affected and we know scarborough is predominantly people of color which is unfortunate but usually it always ends up being the case in everything not just covid that's been the long history of, of the healthcare of racialized people we're usually hit harder by the exact same diseases and mm-hmm. the care is always you know are not comparable so it's it's like just adding another thing to what's been going on yeah exactly um are you finding that you're getting but i guess you haven't been indoors like you're still working because you are an essential worker so it's not you're not like the rest of us who have been indoors for like coming to four months actually yeah it's, it's definitely gone on longer than i think maybe I personally originally hoped or thought it would, but mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just a difference. Like your workday may be similar, but even for us, like a lot changed because you know our surgeries were essentially put on hold, and mm-hmm. so really and truly, I would I would go in mostly just for uh, call call shifts because um, in obstetrics and gynecology we take call yeah. clinic numbers were cut down, surgeries were cut down, so it was different, and, and people had more time at home for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we still definitely just did have to go in. When Mm -hmm. hoping for to have a good number of the PPE care but now Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more yeah hopeful yeah and and hopeful me personally I'm not going out yet I think I'll wait till next year um I'm not trusting because I feel like when they do let out let people out then there's gonna be like vaults and vaults of people because they've been dying to go go out and then we're just gonna have COVID again, so yeah. I don't, so, I don't know if you want to be like the first one at the hairdresser or like exactly. the first one at the gym, but a lot of people are, are definitely getting <laughs> tired of being cooped up, so definitely mm-hmm. the numbers will be high when things open up for sure. I'm gonna do it safely, yeah. No, I'm not going, I'm not gonna be one of the first one, I'm going to wait for like the fifth batch. And then I'll be like, okay, I think now I can go because no one has time to be dying. You know, it just, nope. So today we're talking about um, grief and it is, you know, last week we were, uh, a friend of mine, we're talking about death and dying. And this week I was like, okay, I think we need to discuss grief and 
I want to know from you, what is your understanding of grief? Um, so grief is something I can definitely say that I've, I've experienced myself. And I know a lot of um, age mates or my counterparts I've talked to, and they're like, I don't know if I, at this point in my life, because we're still young in our, our mid to uh, early 30s, have mm. actually experienced what you call true grief. And I think when I think about what grief actually is, it's definitely it's something that comes I think comes at even different stages like I don't think we can call grief any one thing mm-hmm. um, and we know that there are those levels or different stages or parts of grief that occur like the denial and the acceptance and all of that so definitely I think grief is more like I don't know if journey is the right word but yeah. uh, transformation or different levels versus being like one simple thing yeah. um, so it's almost like different stages or yeah. steps I would describe as how you when you work through grief or what grief is to me, mm-hmm. not just like a pinpoint in time. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was saying that uh, she is a she's a writer. I forget her name, but she's also my a professor at Trent University, and she she described grief as, you know, time. Like for her, grief is like. A time in which it takes to heal and because time never ends until you're dead she says that grief is something that is ongoing and it's like stages I think when it just happens it feels like you're gonna die but then a few years later you're just you start to sit down and be like hmm maybe this is why this happened whereas when it just happens, you you blame yourself. You wonder if you could, you could have done anything. Um, I'm wondering, like in your process, did you do you find that grief has been a process that has been steady, or do you find that you have good and bad days? Yeah, I definitely I definitely think that grief is it's not a like it's like a picture in time. So it's definitely something that when you look at a stage in grief today versus two years ago versus 10 years from now, it definitely is going to look different. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a, like a chameleon kind of thing. But I definitely agree with the, the second statement that you said that I, I think that your grief, it probably becomes more of a, I guess, a stable entity depending on how long or, or ago you experience what the episode is that you went through grief. But I definitely think that it, it um it has its days like mm-hmm. some things will trigger yes to go back to exactly what it was mm-hmm. when the moment happened um i know like for me one big thing that will take everything flooding back um to when my father passed away will be when i have a friend or a family member mm-hmm. experience the passing of a father or a mother or a parent mm-hmm. then that can bring upon another day or certain memories or different um holidays just little things can definitely give you that kind of up and down Mm -hmm. um but then i think the way in which you look at why those up and downs happen Mm -hmm. um and the way you work through it or even how much you talk about it or Mm -hmm. discuss it definitely change over time definitely i agree but so i want to sort of look at before we delve into grief on like you know a personal level because you are a medical doctor, you do deal with physical health predominantly. 
I'm wondering as an MD, do you think that physical health and mental health are, are just as important? Yeah, they're definitely uh, like a triangle of health, mm-hmm. right? Like one is cannot be more important than the other because if you're physically in top, tip top shape, hundred percent, but your mental health is, you know, in the floor, is you know not taking care of, you're not um, thinking of how you work through different things, how you maneuver through the world. That's going to change your overall health. Mm-hmm. So physical health alone is not enough. I know that we deal a lot with, especially, you know, people will say that the form of medicine or the branch of discipline of medicine that deals with mental health will be psychiatry. Mm-hmm. But you'll find that all of us have patients that we come in that if the mental health aspect is not 100%, like if you have a, a pregnant patient who is suicidal because of a certain event that happened in their life, it's going to affect her entire pregnancy. Yeah. Medication she takes, she puts into her body, what happens to her fetus, how she navigates her actual labor delivery. So it has to all be um, like a triangle that overlaps each other. Mm -hmm. You can't have one be pristine without the other even being checked on. Mm -hmm. So definitely think that all acid, and and it's not that we're perfect, right? We don't put as much value on mental health that I think we should, but it's, it's definitely more in the forefront these days because more people are speaking out about it and, and you know we're living longer we have more uh technologies in terms of health so you would like to think people are healthier in terms of that aspect mm-hmm. so a lot of things that'll bring out more things such as mental health like have we looked at this well yeah. maybe this is happening not because of something physical but because of something else mm-hmm. and we have to dig into that too so I definitely think it's important um, before this podcast I, I i don't know if you know jane elliott she is she's a teacher and she's a big uh, advocate for like racial equality. And she was doing this lecture <clears throat> where she she asked her white students, she's like, if you if you woke up every day and you know, you saw yourself being you, you saw people that looked like you being, you know, facing police brutality, you you were always overrepresented where disease is concerned, where killings are concerned, where mass incarceration are concerned. And she asked them, she's like, do you think if you were always angry that that would affect your physical health? And a lot of the students were like, mm, like they weren't sure. They were just kind of like, hmm, I don't know. So my question to you is, do you find that, you know, a lot of the times when somebody is not doing well upstairs, that it does affect the way that they take care of, of themselves? Well, yeah, because you're going to need to be able to wake up and be mentally sound, get up and go to work, take care of your children, mm-hmm. uh, deal with the fluctuations of what might happen every day, whether or not it's at work or just interacting with people. So if those things aren't set in in place and, and those things are not okay, then it's going to start to affect things like you're not going to go for your uh, annual screening for whatever it may be. Um, You're going to, you know, not show up when you have, you know, a certain pain that's bothering you for months and months that could be something serious. Mm -hmm. You're going to be like, okay, well, I'm too depressed to get out of bed to even go bother checking this thing out. And it might be something you know, that might be detrimental or something that should be get looked at earlier. So I definitely think that if those pieces aren't in place, mm-hmm. it will affect you. And we, and we all know that the, they keep doing research and the number one 
thing they keep finding about heart disease and yeah. you know people who tend to die earlier versus those who live for a long time is stress and yes. so just your daily life even if you're you're you know walking out of your house you're looking left you're looking right you're looking up down every way mm-hmm. you have stress and that takes a toll physically on your cardiac and your, your health mm-hmm. which eventually you know shortens your life <clears throat> yeah. those goals. Like it, it has a whole bunch of other implications right. so definitely we're finding out more and more when we pay more attention to what mental health is and, and you know the mental environment that people live in every day mm-hmm. we see how that's impacting people and mm-hmm. it is as an md what do you do to make sure that like your patients are also paying attention because i know you you want them to have a safe pregnancy you want them to be in tip-top shape how do you encourage especially communities like ours where there's a lot of stigma around mental health how do you make sure that they're getting that part of their lives you know figured out so it's so I'm not sure how recent the addition is to, so when you come in for your first prenatal appointment, there's like a screening sheet and it's the same sheet across the board, all of Ontario. But on that sheet, there's a segment where you ask, and so you're supposed to ask every patient um, about stressors. Like, Mm -hmm. are you, uh, I think the list says like financially sound and feel good that you and your partner can support this child. Do you have a partner or somebody helping you support this child? Um, And the one that they've really been harping on us to pay attention to is uh, screening for domestic violence. So, you know, do you feel hurt? Have you been kicked or punched in the last whatever months um, before your pregnancy? So we will screen for a lot of those things. But, you know, as you know, it's nice to put it down on a piece of paper. We're rushing. We see patients every 15 minutes. Um, So to pay attention, you really have to pay attention to those or, or just knowing the patient's history. Like if we have patients that come in, Mm-hmm. that have a history of either, like, say, a refugee or um, they had some other traumatic event uh, reported, say, when they come to you. We try to pick up on that quickly, and a lot of times we'll add in a referral to social work because I think also as an MD, we have to know our limits. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would love to sit there and dig into how a refugee patient came from where she came from to, and then how to get her to the right um, different, you know, centers or other places that can support her during and after her pregnancy Mm -hmm. i can't feasibly do that so you know you identify the patients maybe those patients who book more frequent appointments and you uh, connect them to social work so we do a really good job uh, at making sure we identify patients who might be at risk Mm -hmm. uh, which i think is helpful and then so they'll come to say their prenatal appointment then right after, they'll sit down for an hour with the social worker. Yeah. The social worker always adds their notes to our notes, so I'm aware of what stood out to the social worker. So it's very helpful. Oh, okay. That's good. That's I nice. had I had no idea that that was a thing. So at least, I mean, it is, You, I often wonder, because Black women especially tend to be ignored by, you know, in healthcare, I wonder if that really goes a long way, but it is good to know that at least the the questions are being asked. Um, I want to talk about growing up. So, so because you grew up in Canada, but you have Ugandan parents. You were raised by Ugandan parents. And a lot of the time for us growing up, <laughs> we always imagine the Ugandan kids here had it easier that your, you know, because for us in Uganda, beating children is very legal. 
you can you know <laughs> you can beat them anyhow mm-hmm, what so for me growing up i couldn't <clears throat> expressing anger to my parents was a a big no no you know you were constantly required to be grateful regardless of the situation um did you find that growing up in you know in canada with with your upbringing that you were encouraged to be open about things like if you were sad if you were happy if you were being bullied if bullying was a thing um i think that if i if i go directly to to my own personal experience Mm -hmm. i think that i was encouraged to a certain extent um Mm -hmm. in terms of i found it fairly easy to talk to my parents about certain things not everything certain things because despite that you know where you have Ugandan parents that raise you Uganda and Ugandan parents that raise you here they bring the same ideals so it's a it's a different it's actually probably maybe even a step more difficult because they're trying to combat what they grew up with but at the same time trying to combat what I would want to do the same thing as my peers Mm -hmm. who would be who grew up here so that kind of clash would happen often um but i think by way of uh, the profession that my parents would have been in um made them more open to saying you know what's going versus maybe some other professions where you don't actually have to counsel and speak to people so my mom is uh, a lawyer and she specializes in family law and children's law so Mm -hmm by way of what she does she literally counsels and speaks to people all Mm -hmm. the time every day Mm -hmm. so i think that in that sense she probably would pick up maybe on more things that if i'm like no i'm fine (laughs) you're not fine (laughs) yeah you have to talk about it but within a limit like if i try to bring some some you know stuff that she's like that's not even gonna run in this house then you just get shut down same way (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but i think i would at least maybe be able to begin that conversation yes um, which I think is a blessing because it's hard I guess sometimes depending on the personalities of yourself and your parents right I always found your family really fascinating um when I moved to Canada (laughs) I so your so auntie Alice your mom she was my pen pal in Uganda before for like a year before I moved here and so in my head, and she didn't call herself Auntie Alice. She called herself Alice. Yeah. So I thought, I thought she was a white woman. And then, <laughs> so when I moved to Canada, my mom is like, yes, so you're going to go and see your pen pal. She has three kids. I'm like, what? She, she has kids? I thought she's my age. And I go, <laughs> and I come to your house and there's these black children and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, who is this woman? Where is Alice? Like, who is, where is Alice? Because I've never, I don't think I know a Ugandan called Alice. It's such a, <laughs> it's such a, an English name. It's, it's crazy. It's um, anyway, so then I go to the living room and, and I see, I think you were date. it's, it, I think you were like in high school, like probably grade 12. And I thought that guy was your brother. And I'm like, oh, is that, is that your brother? And then until your mom is cooking and then you're like, no, that's my boyfriend. <laughs> and I was waiting for your mom to come and slap you, but she continued doing what she was doing. 
I was like, oh my god. I couldn't even dream of... I remember telling my mom I had a crush on in grade 8 and she warned me about pregnancy. You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this... So I went home, I was like, oh my god, mommy, can you believe? She even has a boyfriend. My mom was like, don't try that nonsense in my house. <laughs> it was funny, but... um. It was quite fascinating to see um, a Ugandan family be so different from mine because in not that my house was militarized but my parents were very like it was you you were like almost scared of your parents that's they instilled the, the spirit of fear in you you know I didn't start talking to, to my mother about stuff until I was like 23 you know so yeah. it's it's such a difference i think that's why i had that perception like oh the canadian kids hmm. <laughs> they're just... they're different. I, know, I think that it, maybe it's just one of those things where you 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 pick and choose what your battles are and mm -hmm. that, that's probably how we me and my mom kind of functioned eventually she's like this child is doing a b c d e f g that is mm -hmm. right and as long as and i think her, her philosophy was always just be open about it because mm -hmm. at the end of the day the number of my friends and you know who were there who were or were not allowed to have boyfriends everybody had them anyway yeah so i think that my mom like i said by the you know just surely by what she did at work she knows that they're going to be there anyway so mm -hmm. i think in her brain she was like it's probably better off if she talks to me and i know what she's thinking and i know the person Mm -hmm. when she usually did she would usually know the person and, and then that way she could be a judge of character and decide you know if they're a horrible human being and yeah. I think that, that made more sense to her mm -hmm. rather than having to dig and yeah and, and I, I think, think was, I think I think you're right because it, it also doesn't it make you make good choices in terms of like the partners that you pick well, yeah, because then you're like, I can't bring this human being yeah. anywhere near my mother. So that person can't happen. Exactly. Like, a detective, and then she would find that anyway and then be like, this is a horrible person. So you just don't even bother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honestly, that's how bother. that's how you end up bringing, they call them bayaye in Uganda, like thugs. Because yes. you... <laughs> <laughs> you don't you're pick. With the thug, you're not in love with the thug, and then the very last day you're like, "Mommy, this is the thug." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a good idea. I I always imagine what I would be like. In a lot of ways, I think I am like my mom, but definitely a lot more open-minded. Because I don't want my children to be terrified of me. Like when my when out here, beep beep. <laughs> Around, I would start running and being like and then the first thing my dad used to say like when I was home from boarding school he, he the, the maids would greet him good morning sir is Jen home like he wouldn't even <laughs> he wouldn't even <laughs> greet them back he always that was the first where is Jane is she in the living room <laughs> is she around yeah so they're, it was they're on top of it in a lot of like i think if i was because i was always by myself i was the only girl i was more policed because you know in uganda there's you know the safety of women is not the best so i think in a yeah. lot of ways they were trying to be 
protective but i don't know i don't know if it's helpful because it could have gone south right naturally i'm a calm person but a lot of my friends we, we grew up the same us who grew up as girls in body they used to be like now for me i'm just coming from a gate i'm at school i'm going to have fun you know <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and, it's almost like one of those things you just look back in hindsight and you're like that's why my parents did what they did yeah Exactly. <laughs> and um I'm grateful because now now that I'm older, I really enjoy my own company and I find yeah. a lot of people don't enjoy being at their home. You know, they like to every time it's like they want to move around. And I think that's kind of dangerous. Like if you can't sit down and be like, "Okay, I'm home." Yeah, this is this enough is for face. me. Yeah. There're actually people like that and I think from I see it in a lot of my friends um they they have a need to gallivant as my mother used to say gallivanting all over yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing i'm grateful for is i've i've grown to like you know maybe to a fault but i've definitely grown to like just like being by myself um i can entertain myself i don't i don't need like a party or a gathering so it helped i have a little ptsd a little you know but yeah. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is what it is um my next question is now i know you talked about it in the beginning <clears throat> you experienced lo the loss of your dad um can you walk me through the how you managed to cope with it at least and i'm talking like in the first in those first moments um how were you able to cope is there a particular mechanism that you used um i don't so when i think about that it's it's interesting cuz I, i was talking about the subject literally just last week with my my bible study group mm -hmm. and we were i think our topic was on therapy and and accessing therapy as um you know, as a person of African descent mm -hmm. and how much we believe or don't believe in it. Um, but anyway, so that actually thought was on my mind. So when I think about uh, around the time when my father passed, I, I don't, a lot of it was a blur because mm -hmm. it's a time where it's like something that you never thought would happen. So first mm -hmm. of all, you're like in a, a daze that you don't even know, you're just in circles. Mm -hmm. But uh, all I remember is being surrounded by people and mm -hmm. family. So I, I actually didn't do anything formal. I could say like see, seek any type of counseling or uh, like outside of honestly, like prayer, mm -hmm. worship music. Mm -hmm. um, that was always in my house, like being sung by like aunties that would come over. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, and just having family, you know, sleeping on couches, sleeping on, you know, the floor and sleeping bags just always surrounded mm -hmm. um was a huge definitely part of a huge coping mechanism because i think at that time as much as you want to cry and and be in a dark room and essentially i just cried with everybody there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of alone and i think that i'm not really sure if people want to cry alone i don't know right. but i don't think that that would have gone well for me 
Mm -hmm. So I think that definitely a lot of my coping, and a lot of it has to do with my mother herself, like Mm -hmm. just knowing that she was there and, you know, we were all devastated. Nobody knew what to do, Mm -hmm. but we were all just trying to continue. Like we're just trying to be, get up in the morning and maybe eat something. Maybe like we're all in the same it's not the same, obviously, for everyone. It's the same for my mom and my siblings and, you know, my dad's siblings and best friends and every, everyone deals with the loss of a person differently. Mm-hmm. But we're all in this circle of trying, right? That's mm-hmm. all you can do really is try. And I mm-hmm. think that for me, the huge part of it was just having people around me and support. Mm-hmm. Even if you didn't do, like, half the time people, I didn't even want to talk to anyone. Right. I didn't talk actually a lot. I would just look around and then I'd cry and then I'd look around and maybe I'd eat something and I'd look around and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's like, that's what I remember from those days. It's just people, people, people and food coming in and out of the house, singing, right. um, praying. Yeah. That's what I recall. I, I kind of, I, I guess sort of, I think it happened. I was in high school your mom was always really interesting to me because she so she's very different from my mother my mother had trust issues she dealt with a lot of trauma in her life um i've talked about this before my mom like my dad was really violent growing up and so we always had to hide like we weren't the type of family that you know was open whereas you know auntie Alice always had people around my mom had to like hide because sometimes she would have marks on her face sometimes she would be bitten so so badly so we went when relatives would come visit would have to you know would have to be like oh no 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 no. so that's how we grew up just always Uh... keeping people out so when we moved to Canada she she already had that mentality that People will come and they'll laugh at me and they'll do this and they'll do that. So when she got sick, you know, it's not that I didn't want people to come around. It's like <laughs> I felt like I would be doing something wrong because for because years she lived her life. She, yeah, she lived her life in hiding, you know, just always, always being like, what will people say? What will people say? Because that's how we grew up. And the difference i think the only time i had people around was her they call it a lumbe like the day after yeah her death and that's when i first was like wow look at all these people <laughs> cuz yeah, for the yeah. for i think she got she started getting sick around september of 2015 up until july of 2016 I hadn't seen a lot of people. It was something that had to be the secret. I didn't know how to how to deal with it. And then I realized later on that what a wrong way to, I don't know. It was just like not the right way to deal with things. And now throughout my grieving process, I also was like, I have to deal with this by myself. And uh, so- Like you continued that, that kind of- mentality i guess of keeping things so close yeah and always being like no what if people say i'm over crying you know that stuff Um, but um slowly i i don't i wouldn't say that i'm all the way there but i'm slowly learning to to talk about it 
one thing that I did do that didn't work was I started drinking a lot of wine <laughs> when my mom died. I used to go to LCBO and I would buy a bump, like maybe like three bambinos and I would drink. I would go to class in like, in like a water bottle. One time my professor found me drinking bambino and she was in like class. in class, in my psychology class. And she was like, you know what? I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm just not gonna deal with it. Here's your assignment. Oh, like she was, she was just like, I can't do it. And when I finally realized I had a problem is when I almost fell off a treadmill because I was drunk. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, we're 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 getting ahead of ourselves, Jane. Now I'm wondering if was there any part um, during that time were there things that you did and you're like "Mm -mm, this is not how to deal with this I need to do better. Um, I I know I tried I tried to I was taking a course that summer Mm -hmm. and I thought that the right thing to do because I knew that would be what my dad (laughs) wanted me to do would be to finish my course. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to go back to class, mm. and that didn't go well. Yeah. So then I just had to stop taking the course, and then I just, I just wrote the exam with what I knew to the point of which, like where I ended it, and I just, I think I made a couple friends in the class, and I just wrote them a note and just said, guys, all the best. I just had, you know, a, a family a family emergency happened and I, I can't continue the course. I tried, but you know, you guys, you guys will do well. And cause I tried and I was sitting in front of the teacher and I just like, <laughs> your notes are in front of you and they're just like covered in liquid and you're just like, yeah, uh, I can just sit here crying and I'm trying to write and it's just, I'm crying. So I'm just like, no, this isn't happening. So I think I went back that day. I tried then I packed up my stuff and then I just came home. Oh my so god. I don't know. I think that I don't know. I thought that was gonna be a good idea. I was like I can do this. Yeah. Water, we can do this. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna finish it and it's mm-hmm. gonna and then it just went horribly and it just made me so sad and then I just turned around and didn't finish it. Which was when and then it all worked out. But mm-hmm. it just that I think that was my <laughs> that, that, that was your... mistake. I don't know if that yeah. Well that's that's not that bad. It's not like you went on like you know, a, a drug binge downtown Toronto. So, it's it's fairly <laughs> it's fairly like a reasonable. You know, not yeah, not judging people who are struggling with with drug abuse, by the way. But it is a little. I was expecting you to be like, so I went and then I bought Uganda Waraji and I was just drinking and drinking. <laughs> No, but, I don't even hung over before. I know what that feels like. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll put myself there. I was like, no, thank you, not today. This is no, true. No. Um, are you finding, this is off topic, but are you finding that, like, your alcohol, because I'm getting older and my alcohol, like, tolerance is so low. It's negative 10. I drink, like, one glass of white wine. Like, now that my things, my body just can't handle, like, white exactly. wine. Exactly. Or, like, red sh- wine, very specific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's, it's crazy. Nowadays, Bambino is giving me a headache. I used to. That was like Joyce well, back in. <laughs> no, it 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 gave me a headache. I went to an Airbnb this weekend and like, I had two glasses and let me tell you, the headache I woke up with yeah. 
I don't know what your body does between, well, you're not 30 yet, but it was to me, it's like after I turned 30, it's like everything just went. And I'm not the only one. I have a lot of friends that say the same thing. They're like, what? How did we do it? Yeah. Partying Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> not Sunday, but all those days, you're drinking, Jeez. you're having fun. No, yeah. hangover, you know, you're hmm. fine. And then this one time, I'm like, one glass of red wine. I'm like, ah. Oh, you cheat. I uh, used to. I used to chug down a gin, like shots, 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 shots. You know, the only person in his 30s who is like a steady with stamina is Kevin. <laughs> Kevin has... But also, also the thing too is that back then you were drinking bad alcohol. And bad alcohol gives you a bad hangover. So now I drink good alcohol and still it's like... Yeah. And if I ever touch that bad stuff, I'm not... No, I I can't touch gin now. Hell no, I'm not doing that to myself. No, 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 no. Bombay, <laughs> Bombay at this age, no. Mm-mm. But Ugandan men, banange. Uh-uh. No, they, it's from the get go. They're from like birth. They have stamina yeah, for alcohol. Have the, I think the girls are better though. I think the girls have more stamina than the guys, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not on their level. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't do it anymore. Um, now, it sounds like during this process, you had, like, a lot of support. And so you didn't really... Did you deal with, like, stupid questions? Like, uh, before this, I was telling you that, that when my mom died, a lot of people would be like, but you'll get married one day, and then you'll also be a mother, and then everything will be fine. Like, did you ever <laughs> have to... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people, they, the thing is, I think when, when you get comments like that, you just have to tell yourself they mean well, but mm-hmm. in your head, you're actually like, WTF, they're like, why would you, like, well, how is that comment helpful? Like, how? Like um, <laughs> you, can, you can't even fathom how someone thought that was helpful, mm-hmm. but they actually do. They think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, because you know what, you know what it is. So I, I realized, I think, and this is through passing through um grief is mm. that there's not that much you can say no to someone so i think that some people just don't know that mm-hmm. and then they want to say things so yeah. but i mean that was me that was me before and i always i'd always want to you know say a bunch of words and try to be comforting it's always awkward you don't know what to say mm-hmm. but now i'm just like i literally will go up to people and i'm just like i don't have anything to say to you i'm just here to give you a hug because i actually don't know what to say because i know that the words not that they don't help but they don't yeah <laughs> yeah let's be let's be honest through. yeah they can't someone can't say something that's gonna change anything so it, it it took me time to learn that so i just usually just sit there and just cry like, yeah. that's what I do. And is that also not helpful? <laughs> like, it's, I, there's just no words. Um, it's just, when you're, someone is in that sadness. One thing that was really weird at, at um, my mom's viewing, I wasn't crying. Like, I didn't, like, I didn't cry. I don't think anyone ever saw me crying publicly. Um, because I just don't do that. It's not, you, you know, I'm Ugandan, born and bred in Uganda. Crying in front of people is not a thing. People will look at you like, ah, you need to be strong. So yeah. <laughs> I didn't really cry. So there was this time I was just picking up, picking up my mom's, um, pictures and just getting ready to leave. And these three aunties are like, but Jen, why are you not crying? And then I was like, oh, uh, 
I don't know. So then I accident like I made the horrible mistake of responding. I was like, "Oh, what will crying do?" Like she's she's already died. Hoy, when I said that, <laughs> they were like, "You have to cry. You have to feel everything. You have to do this. You have to do that." But in my head, I was like, "This doesn't make sense. I don't unlike like my grandmother and, you know, my auntie. I hate attention." I don't like yeah. the whole room to be focused on me. I still want people to come and, you know, do their thing, but yeah, I think grief it's it's uncomfortable. I don't like people crying near me. I find it very <laughs> crying to me is like chimansuro. It um, makes yeah. me <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want to see it. Like <laughs> Yeah, no, there was a there was an auntie who came at the reception and Shambe, she looked me in the eye and she was like <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, what am I supposed to do?" So, th- yeah. thankfully there was someone sitting next to me and I'm like, "Oh my god, can you comfort her? Like this is weird. <laughs> like I need to go." Yeah. And I felt yeah. like such a bitch, but I was like, "Oh, I can't no, do your time." <clears throat> And you have to deal with your loss. So I can't deal with crying people. It's so <sighs> uncomfortable. Like, it's literally, yeah. It's like when I see naked people, I'm like, God, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, I don't like Chimansuro. It's too much for me. Um, But yeah, no, I don't think... I think, yeah, we have to acknowledge that grief is uncomfortable and it's okay to say nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely learned that, and and most times people just—I honestly think they 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 probably appreciate it rather than me just jumbling. I'm a very verbose person, so Mm. I just jumble and mix up my words, and just it it wouldn't make any sense. So I just say nothing. No, that's always better. It is always men like if Kanye West listened to that, just say nothing. Wow, (laughs) the world would be a better place, but. Moving Hi. on, <laughs> um, you are the oldest of three siblings, um, and on top of that, you're a woman, you're a girl. Um, did, you, did you find that you had to sort of bear that burden naturally? Did you find that there was pressure to, um, you know, comfort them and forget yourself? Like, what was that process like, like being the oldest sibling? when you sent me your questions and I, and I had to think about it and mm-hmm. I feel like I never felt that pressure mm-hmm. um, I also have a feeling it's because of what I previously said to you before in that we were all surrounded by so many people mm-hmm. that like Mark had someone who was like only on Mark mm-hmm. Samantha had someone that was like only for Samantha I had people who were only for me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we, it's not com- compartmentalized. And then my mom had her team. Right. You know, and then she was for all of us. 
Mm-hmm. So there's not really any time where I would ever say that I had to be in a room and explain, like, we were all with my sister what we had to tell her. Mm-hmm. But to say that she had to sit down and tell me what her feelings were, mm-hmm. it never really happened like that because we were all in our own little zones and then mm-hmm. we would come together. And then by that time, I think because of the, the small circles, it's like you were already like, okay, now let's talk about something all together mm-hmm. how we're feeling all together so I never really had to do that and I have a feeling that had it been like a smaller circle of people or if you know we were a smaller family like with not all the extended family I definitely could see how an older sibling would carry that mm-hmm. um, but for us it was just so different it was just I when I tell you it was like a million people all the time until we got back from Uganda so I also, I don't know, also part of me too was almost like I was the one who was there the longest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if in the end it was like, are you, but then my sister was with dad the most. Mm-hmm. And Mark was the only boy. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone had their thing that they're like, so maybe that's why we never made that. That's like mini, like mini discussions between us as siblings. We talk a lot now as mm-hmm. family. You know, we have our our times when we have meetings and you know memories and we discuss but at the time not not really we right. really um and I think my mom probably took on a lot of that burden because she I would talk to her mm-hmm. my brother would talk to her and my sister would talk to her right yeah so in the end it's probably almost like she just held all of us up because we we're just we we're just like in the rock bottom I actually don't know how she would have done it because she would have been probably at the bottom more than any of us yeah i can imagine yeah being like i have to be there for these people and then then also to culturally this this thing happened which i didn't expect where there was a ceremony where our like i don't know how to explain it but our family Mm -hmm. like got handed over to my brother yes he's the he's the eldest son i Mm -hmm. think that's why so that it was like strange because it was almost like the the traditional expectation is that now he will carry all of us yes he becomes like the husband essentially not literally but like the head of the family yes so then it was yeah so culturally it was also interesting in that sense where Mm -hmm. it's like was he supposed to be so yeah i don't know that it wasn't my it wasn't my experience that particular thing and i think it's just because of how how we're, the way we dealt with it mm-hmm. and the number of people that surrounded us when daddy passed yes um that's really good i'm i'm i always saw a lot of people and oh. but coming from the type of family that i came from i was like whoa like are they okay this is a lot of humans <laughs> like um i always often wondered like i feel like the these people need a breather you know I feel like they need to be alone as a family, but I'm I'm happy to hear that it it was actually like a positive thing to have people constantly around. Um, because for me that would have been horrifying. <laughs> but I'm also yeah, I, I don't know. It must be kind of like what you're saying is that you know what was your life like leading up to that point? Because then yeah, for you would be to be such a shock. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the house is always full of people for Mm -hmm. every occasion, for everything. So, Mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't have expected it to be differently, but it was, it was a lot, definitely. But I think we needed that, maybe. 
No, oh, for sure. And I think, you, you know, God wasn't, God, I think, intended for us to be in fellowship with each other. And that's when, but I think stuff happens in life and people, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want people around me. I've been hurt too much or... I think sometimes life just happens, but I think naturally as human beings, we are meant to be around each other. Um, it's it's the right way to do things, but getting to that point is, is a whole nother issue. Um, I, I want to talk about, you know, Samantha. Samantha was nine years old when, when you guys' dad passed away. How did you manage to explain to her, like, you know, what had happened? Because she was literally like in grade three. She was really young. She um, she she. It's not that she didn't understand. My dad had been quite sick. Mm-hmm. I, not not that that meant anything, because none of us ever thought. You know, we always thought he'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she definitely understood. But how, like the coping mechanisms of a nine-year-old, yeah. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that her, she was similar, probably, honestly, probably similar to the rest of us, and just basked in the fact that we were always all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then essentially, since that time, she's always she's always been surrounded by a lot of people. So mm-hmm. even though like I love to go off to school, my brother was typically home with her most of the time. Mm-hmm. So him, my mom, and then there was always somebody staying at home. Mm-hmm. So she always had people, and then plus she had extended people, like she had, you know, her close friend, um, Faith and Jeldon, their mom was just down the street and always with them. Mm-hmm. Her close friend, Namara, her mom, just down the street and always with her. So I think that what happened, too, is around the time Dad passed, I think that it was, like, probably, like, an unwritten pact of, like, mm-hmm. my mom's friends who had daughters that were Samantha's, you know, and they're her best friends still mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. That they said, like, we can't let her, like, she will never be alone. So I think that that also probably helped a lot with her being so young. Yeah. And, like, you know, what to do next. But in terms of, like, she she understood. She came home. She had been away. And, and we told her, all of us together as a family, and, you know, we had our moment, and we surrounded her, and then, and then it just all the motions started. You know, it's a, a big, a big movement to take someone home and bury them. So it's right. like then you get caught up in all of that, and and so I think that that probably also she used that to work through it mm-hmm. because we were all kind of going through those motions, and then plus she was a mature child. Yes, but she wasn't. You know, when you're when you're young, like Samantha, the age difference between me and my sisters what, 12 or 13 years. Mm-hmm. So she grew up with adults, right? So she's mm-hmm. not, she wasn't your typical nine-year-old. Yes, She probably had the brain of a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. which probably helped her too. Yeah. No, I agree. She's she's very, um, she has a good head on her shoulders. She's very sure, like, of what she needs to do, I think, to help herself, which I think is very it's quite beyond her years to understand what you need to do for yourself from from a really young age um i remember i think i met her when she was six and she was always like this is what i want to do and i'm going to do it and i'm going to do it now (laughs) you know (laughs) so i 
I'm not even like that. I can't even follow a diet for two days. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, you're right in that. Like she did grow up really, um, really fast. Now you've talked about like the fact that you had a lot of people around you, but I'm sure that eventually those people, it wasn't the same all through. How did you manage to get through it? You know, when those a lot of people weren't around anymore. Um, so that was, I think that was the, the, it's actually interesting because that was when things, it's almost like you get hit by a hammer. Mm -hmm. We went home and we were home for maybe two weeks. And then that, I think the first time that I was in the house alone, like by myself, I don't know where everybody had gone. You know, my mom was out, my brother was wherever. Mm -hmm. And I just broke down. So it was very, it was actually very odd because I'd been in the house for a couple of weeks or weeks before, like after daddy had passed and then it was like that, but I had never been alone. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as it happened, you we were at the hospital, as soon as we got home, the house was already full of people. Mm -hmm. And then there, it was never not full of people. And you go to Uganda and then there's another, how many people in the village, how many people in the city, you know what I mean? So then mm -hmm. it was that, that first time that it hits you, then mm -hmm. you like break down. And mm -hmm. then you have to try to, you know, build yourselves together and get back to a semblance of what are you guys going to do now? Because mm -hmm. now it really is just the four of us trying to pick up our pieces and, and figure out what to do next. And we're all still young, like, yeah, I was 21. Mm -hmm. So like mom is still taking care of everybody, right? So we had to figure out how to be like, what's the new... Like, what are we going to do? Right. So I think all those were just like small steps and, and you know, trying to work, work through with that in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was tough. Would you... It was a huge change. <laughs> yeah. No, I can imagine, you know, going from, from having so many people around, you know, from the time that he's sick, the time that he dies, you go for barrio, you come back, and then it's like... And, and I don't know if... If people vanished you know when you got back from Uganda but I can imagine like how different that m must feel and we all maybe not at the magnitude that you did but even for me like it felt very weird because now it felt like okay I was off the bus you know I was off the bus and I needed to start my journey but the journey yeah. by myself so yeah. it becomes real <laughs> you're like oh shit yes. so so this actually happened um yeah and now it's just me looking around mm -hmm. before you, you know look around you look around at least there's distractors and people to talk to you and mm -hmm. when it's just you looking around then it's like how do you get hit with a hammer for sure yeah um do you think that being in a relationship because at the time at the time that your dad passed away you were you did have a boyfriend um and and i think i i was saying in the beginning that when when my mom died a lot of people said so many especially women so many women said even a therapist at my school was like one day you're gonna be a mom you're gonna be a wife and you're gonna be good and I don't have a I don't have a boyfriend right now. So I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. 
and so the reason I was asking this question is like, does it make a difference? <laughs> I need to ask someone who had a boyfriend. Like, does it make it easier? Does it make the journey less trash? Like, how did you find I just, that? I just feel like I don't know. I don't know how the, the being like in the future when you become a mom, <clears throat> I don't know if that statement really. Maybe they're trying to say you'll get some kind of understanding, like some kind of bright light. Oh, okay, but I don't know if it really makes you fine. I don't know about that statement. Um, I think it's just having being in a relationship at the time maybe helps for like another support mm. system. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like I harped on, like for me, that was what was a big factor in helping you know me stay, you know, almost sane because you're just you just don't even know what to do with yourself. Yeah, you're just having someone there to you know. Who you know you can call whatever at the time and you just cry mm. you know but the, the thing is there's there's there were so many people around me <laughs> that I could do that with, yeah that I think that more so than having like a romantic relationship than just having any relationship where you can be that way I think is what is the more helpful thing mm-hmm. um so to say like versus like if I was single at the time if things would have been that much worse and I would have coped much worse or, or maybe turn to the bottle or whatever you said I don't think that that is true mm-hmm. um I think just having someone or some bodies around you to play that role when you go through something you know as hard as losing a parent I think that's the key mm-hmm. so romance yeah. doesn't make the difference it's just the fact that you do have that one support that is is more accessible than probably like your auntie or your cousin he's more yeah, exactly of like, someone who's there. a really close like a best friend or like yeah i think that even an auntie or something anyone who mm-hmm. can play that role i think that that more at that time is what you need Versus someone to be like, I love you. Like, yeah, everyone around me loves me. Yeah. Yeah, like the person is a good support system. Mm -hmm. But as long as you can find someone to be that, I think that your journey through grief would be very much similar. Mm -hmm. Now, you've talked about your mom being like a huge support for you um, during this time. and, And she did actually end up being a single mom. How did you make sure that you kept not just you as Shambe, but you know, as kids? What what sort of things did you do to keep her sane and to keep her journey as not I don't want to use the word easy, but sort of support her through her loss because she did suffer um, a loss of her husband and and the father of her kids. Um, I think that. Part of it is you have to you have to understand that we all had different relationships and everybody's with that and everybody's loss is going to be in a different way. So for the loss of a partner, mm-hmm. then you're missing a person that you would have would have been home with you all the time, that you would have gone trips with all the time, you would have mm-hmm. watched television with all. So that's very different. Mm-hmm. And my mother's a very social person, and so was my father. So I think that like all of us trying to make sure that we, you know, we used to try to coordinate to make sure that we were home and, and, you know, she wasn't alone on a Friday night all the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just different things. Like maybe I, like I never used to call my mom that 
much when I was in university. Not by choice. She probably was like, I'm too busy to talk to you. <laughs> but, you know, you like maybe call a bit more and, and you know, check on like when she's at work, she's at work. It's a, a different thing. But mm-hmm. if it is like a Saturday night or, you know, I'd make sure I called it on Friday to be like, what's your weekend like? Mm-hmm. To see like, is she sitting at home by herself on the weekend, which she literally never was. Sometimes I'd be like, I'm coming to visit. So I'm not going to be here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think just like checking in to make sure that she was you know comfortable or or still doing things that were enjoyable to her Mm -hmm. taking trips like when she would say "Mm, i don't know if i should go visit the brand like go you should go you know hang out with you know your sister-in-laws like have fun on this trip and you know and just encourage her and then you know listen to the trip when she gets back like things like that that it's almost like your relationship just the glue between it just gets stickier we just make sure um also just doing what you're supposed to do like yeah all of us trying to like like, like piss her off a lot of time and, and effort to mm. put you through school so like get your stuff done do what you're supposed to do like then that's less stressful for her right so just like stuff like that like she kept pushing so you know we should all do the same and mm-hmm. it's not easy right afterwards mentally emotionally financially no so just trying to keep the path straight and where you the direction you were supposed to go and i think she she did a really good job of of keeping it together which is even more reason to sort of wonder i, I think for me especially like i always wondered like how how is she doing this because she managed to constantly show up with a huge smile by the way um always just being like yeah yeah, of course i'll do that what of course i'll do it Mm -mm, i'm available what like and so for her to still be able to give um so much of herself was like when my mom died i was like i don't want anybody disturbing me leave me leave me alone like (laughs) i was people would be like jane we have a dinner my i'm grieving like that was my sentence for like a year Jen, there's a there's a lunch. I'm grieving. Leave <laughs> and, me alone. Get out of my face. <laughs> leave me alone. So, yeah, it's it's like you wonder if somebody, you know, she she went back to work. She did she did all those things, and you're like, how is she managing? But you know what? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's between her and God, and and I can only hope that she does talk to somebody. Even if it's just a friend, I know she p- does not have a therapist. So. <laughs> but... She is definitely not into therapy. Yeah, I think that also too, you just have to look at the personality of the person. So you also have to see like she's a busybody before. So it's like the same concept. Like I said, when we left, and there's a million people, mm-hmm. and you're never by yourself. You never have time to look around and be like, and you know, just break down. So if she keeps going and going and going Mm -hmm. then it's probably i think it's like more like a way to cope right yeah that's true keep yourself looking up down left right and you don't have to you know really dig dig and then you never know what might happen Mm -hmm. you might lose lose the your guys you've had to yeah to keep going all this time so i think for a while maybe that was part of the drive but definitely now taking this up breaks and slowing down her work mm-hmm. i think that that's been really really good traveling more yeah 
she does yeah. love to travel um yeah she just oh i hate being on on planes i like to get to other countries i just hate the process of like getting there i yeah. hate hate flying with a passion um my last question is when you think about grief when you think about mental health pain um as a black woman what is your impression of how we perceive those things um i was reading something the other day i was having discussion with someone and they were talking about how black women are supposed to be the ultimate resilient like being like we're supposed to because we we there's so much on our shoulders we're kids you're, you know, holding up your partners who may or may not be black men, and we already know what what they've been going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, black raising our black sons. A lot of black women are, are single mothers. Um, so when I think of it, I, I think that we definitely always have this attitude of like, keep keep on, keep on going. You're strong enough. You're strong enough. You're strong. That was like me trying to go to class. <laughs> I was like, right. you're gonna do it. It's gonna be fun. I can do it. definitely there is a need to to talk about these things but I think because and I think religion has a lot to do with it and I also think Shambi are you there yeah oh okay (laughs) and I also think religion and culture have a lot to do with it um because growing up in Uganda I grew up in at a time when the in the early 90s the AIDS epidemic was huge like it was crazy like I always tell my Canadian Ugandan friends and I'm like yo like that time you just hear about it all the time it was unfortunately had a huge impact on my family um and so I wasn't allowed to go for burials but I was going to a lot of funerals 
every other yeah. every other week almost can you imagine yeah you were lot. always at a funeral and what made it worse is nobody talked about it people are just like mm-hmm. uh auntie bessie uh she was sick and then mm. yeah. uh uncle yeah. this was sick and then mm. <laughs> you and know like, oh, my yeah. I, I had an uncle um who unfortunately passed away in 2002 but in 1993 he lost his wife his wife and twins and oh. yeah and then like in 98 his daughter died then in like when we were in p6 his other son also died and then the year before i left uganda he also ended up passing away and we were before he died the doctors had said hey like because by this time it was like 2004 and there yeah. was medication but there was only generic drugs and he said what do i have to live for like my whole family died and and you know sadly he just chose to die but this was something that was it was common f- to go for lumbe lumbe was such a a common thing at that time because yeah aids was just wiping through Kampala like nobody's business and i think it helped in a big way to deal with my grief because i had already been been there before because i was like oh like and i'll talking to my cousins most of us had also you know we we'd, we'd already been there so it wasn't it wasn't anything new it was still hard but it made it, it a little bit yeah yes. it made it it wasn't like oh my god my mother has died oh my god you know it was sort of like yeah this i've seen this sort of thing happen before mm-hmm. so it does yeah. it does help you to your perspective changes in a big way um I was listening to a black podcast and um this lady was saying that the concept of saying strong black woman is condescending. What do you think about that? She was saying the same strong black woman is condescending. It's condescending like every time black women are like, you know, expressing pain or injustices and then people say, "Oh, you're well black women are strong and resilient." that it's condescending it's like patronizing i don't know if i think it's patronizing it depends on the context in which you're using it like if mm. you're trying to say you're a strong black woman move on yeah patronizing and condescending mm-hmm. but if you're trying to look at literally the day-to-day lives of many black women mm-hmm. yeah they're strong like they go through some stuff and they deal with some stuff but do you so, do you yeah. do you think that it's created an impression of since black women are strong we need to just you know bypass their problems because we all know that you know white fragility has afforded white women this you know the the luxury of being able to be vulnerable being able to be soft and and you know all oh, these poor white women which black women aren't afforded and i think i think she has a point in saying like using strong black woman in that context sort of ignores the problem yeah it definitely is a i don't know if it's called as a stereotype per se that's been perpetuated but that's definitely 
more so how we're seen as versus being delicate and fragile. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I just don't know if I find it condescending. Mm-hmm. I think it, it really depends on how someone is using the statement and what their, you know, their end goal is by making that statement about me. So you're saying intention is important. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Okay. That why are you saying that? Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. Um, I had a boss who used to do that all the time. Like I would tell him, you know, like I remember going to him and being like, "My mom just died, and honestly, I won't be able to be at work." And he was like, "You're a strong black woman. <laughs> yeah, you so can like do that. this. <laughs> you can do." And I'm like, no, I actually can't come to work. Like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I actually know. I quit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm essentially, yeah. Essentially, I quit that job because I was so flabbergasted that a white man had the audacity to tell me because uh, they called me in for a new training and they were like, "Hey, we have this new training. We know you've been taking care of your mom." And I was like, yeah, no, she died, so I won't be coming. Sorry. I need more time off. He goes, but you're a strong black woman. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) no. Like, what? How is that helpful? No. I was like, yeah, no, I quit. I don't need this job, actually. I did need the job. I was broke as hell. (laughs) But... (laughs) But... I won't be continuing. Like, literally, my account was in minus. Um, but I was like, no, I won't be staying here. My, <laughs> my final question for you, where do you think, you know, when we're having conversations about you not just grief, but just like our mental health, how do you think that we can foster these conversations like in our homes with our mothers and aunties, those generations that, you know, have been used to this way of dealing with things like people like my mom who lived through even a heavier part of the AIDS epidemic in Uganda and lost so many of their loved ones. Uh, They lived through Idi Amin and they lived through, so that was like a war. Um, How can we start these conversations with the the elders? Um, I think that there's good and bad things, obviously, of our new technologies and social media, but I think that this concept of forming groups and networks, and it's it's obviously a very many bad things have come out of being quarantined and COVID, but one thing I think that it showed us is that there's ways that we can stay connected to without being in the same physical space. Mm. So I think just, I think the idea of, of forums and discussion groups is great, and I think that opening up so if you have a a group that is meant for one thing like i know lots of people are part of groups that are like not doctor moms or like black nurses in ajax or something like Mm -hmm. like, very specific groups like i'm in a book club there's you know bible studies there's so many different things um my mom was in like in a group where she would golf like women older older women learning to golf later (laughs) like little things like that i think that sometimes using those forums to discuss things that may not be particularly that group or a bit off or maybe a bit off topic is mm-hmm. probably the best way to start because if you're already in a group of women with similar likes and you know sometimes similar demographics not always mm-hmm. um you're more likely to be able to start a conversation in a, in a safe space 
Mm. So I think doing that, like whether or not it's like, I know some workplaces have like, um, what do you call that thing? Toastmasters yes. in their workplace. So mm-hmm. like even taking like one of your Toastmasters groups and being like today, or like if I had my book club, today's the day guys, we're not going to discuss a book. We're going to meet, we're going to talk about mental health. So I think starting there mm-hmm. is a good place because then you just span from there, starting with who you're comfortable with and then go from there. Like I think today my Bible studies meeting and we're talking about, I don't know, we watched a, a sermon about like the Black Lives Matter subject matter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to like bring, use this time to talk about like how we've been feeling over the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. That's a it's really good idea. Bible study, but it's it's a safe space for us, and we're gonna like we said today. We're like, oh, we've been messaging. We're like, we're saving our comments. They're coming tonight. <laughs> like, we're gonna hash it out, and I think that that's important. That's amazing. I I actually agree with you. And you're saying like not necessarily a group that's called lumbe talks but it can be yeah it can be like <laughs> it can be like oh you know let's do kwepena or you know football and stuff like that i think that's a really good idea actually like you have another similar interest and you just bring the topic in because it's something that's on everyone's mind anyway mm-hmm. so everyone will want to talk about it i like that idea i like it a lot maybe maybe i should pitch this to my boss and be like, hey, we need this group for, for black women. Um, well, Shambe, thank you for coming. This was really good. Um, thank you for having me. Please this come back. This was a great conversation. I definitely learned a different perspective, which I'm always trying to do. Um, just tr- try to get people's... I'm always interested in learning people's perspective of how they lived their lives. So definitely gave yeah. me a lot to think about. Um, (laughs) thank you guys for joining us um see you next week bye